1: Happy debate day! It is one day after the election. It is Wednesday. This is the Sean Spicer show. Uh, As I mentioned, uh, Jim McLaughlin, President Trump's pollster, will help us break down the election. Uh, Mike Davis from the Article Three Project is going to talk to us uh, about Trump's legal issues, specifically that case in New York and what it means for him. uh, Because I think that's what what is really important here. Um, So let me let me just kind of really go quickly through my take on the election. Um, a few weeks back, I wrote an op-ed in The Hill. You can see it up there on your thing. This is about how Republicans should have messaged on abortion. I warned Republicans, don't play defense on this issue. Be on offense. Democrats are the ones with an extreme position. They're the ones who want abortion up until birth. That's extreme. Most people agree with it. What happened, Republicans, especially in Virginia, said, no, 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 we'll, get, we'll play defense. We'll be on uh, the 15-week bill. Big mistake, big mistake, and we paid the price for it. It's not as bad as everyone thinks. Stop bedwetting. But Virginia had an opportunity to take back the House of Delegates. They missed that. They did make up a little ground in the state Senate. But all in all, not a great night. Yes, there are some glimmers of hope for Republicans. I don't want to misunderstand that. But if you want to take a lesson from this going into the next 2024 election, the general election... Understand, abortion is not a losing issue. How they messaged on abortion was a losing issue. Check out that debate. Plus, we had debate prep today. We'll have it again tomorrow. Go to my VIP room, seanspicershow.com slash VIP, or live stream it tomorrow, 9 a.m. with Mark Halperin. Uh, Great discussion we had today. You can watch it on my YouTube channel, or you can join us live tomorrow. Ask a question. We'll we'll be able to answer it. Uh, It'll be fun. Uh, So, so much to get into today. I want to start with Jim McLaughlin. Jim is President Trump's pollster. He polls all over the country. He has tremendous insight. Let's bring in Jim McLaughlin to break down what happened. What is the No Spin News all about? You know
2: that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not non-partisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know, what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the no spin news.
1: Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. And the election. Jim, welcome back to the show. Um, all right, give me your takeaways and why I shouldn't be depressed. You know,
0: I think first things first, Sean. I think we we have to get you back helping the Republicans and actually get you back working in campaigns. I said I well, am because what this is what learned- I do. <laughs> well, they could have definitely used your help in Virginia last night, but you know, it's 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 interesting because people are saying, "Oh, the Republicans had a really bad night; they lost in uh, Kentucky." And, uh, you know, in Virginia, they had no question, they had a uh, rough night last night in Virginia. But I'm looking at a bunch of the campaigns I was working on in places like New York. We did really well. Um, You look at the governorships. okay? and there were actually three governorships on the ballot this year. Everybody's kind of forgetting about what happened down in Louisiana. No question. Louisiana is a pretty good Republican state. But the Republicans flipped that state. Right. It, we, we had a Democratic governor there. And not only that, but Jeff Landry won an overwhelming victory. Um, I was working for one of the super PACs down there. Um, he got over 50 percent, avoided the runoff. Um, the Republicans got over 65 percent of the vote there. And the Democratic candidates, and they had a good, you know, former statewide election official and Sean Wilson running as a Democrat there combined they got less than 30 percent of the vote there um you look at a place like kentucky yep daniel cameron he lost um but it was close he was running against an incumbent democrat who by the way could not have run further away from joe biden and the national democrats agenda um and you look at all the other republicans running statewide they all got like 60
1: right i was gonna say that's a camera i mean i um a Bashir thing, he did well, but the other Republicans statewide crushed it. With,
0: with, without a doubt. Um, and then I'm looking at some stuff in New York. And remember, Long Island for the last 20, 30 years, it's been overwhelmingly Democratic. We've been getting our heads handed to us in the presidential races out in a place like Long Island. Last night, Ed Romaine won the Suffolk County Executive Race. The year before, we worked for Bruce Blakeman. He won the Nassau County Executive Race. And I'm looking at a lot of these races in Westchester and Rockland County, which are big swing areas in suburban New York. And Mike Lawler, the congressman who upset Sean Patrick Maloney last cycle, they had some big wins in Democratic areas, places like Clarkstown, which is the biggest town in uh, Rockland County. They reelected a Republican town supervisor there. That's a town where Democrats outnumber Republicans by about two to one. And in the People's Republic of the Bronx, even of all places, <laughs> a Republican hasn't won a race in the Bronx in over 20 years. Um, You had a Republican win for city council there in a district. I was just looking at the numbers where the Democrats outnumber the Republicans, 62 to 14. It's AOC's congressional district. So Republicans have some things to crow about last night. And I
1: I think, look, what it comes down to, Sean, uh, candidates and campaigns, they matter. Oh, yeah, I I agree with you. I've said that when I was at the RNC, I used to say mechanics matter. You have yeah. to actually run a race. You have to have a get out the vote operation. You have to be able to identify your voters. You have to run a messaging campaign. So, so let's talk about that. You brought up Virginia where I live and vote. Um, uh, interestingly, in the Senate where Republicans needed two to flip the Senate, they got one. It wasn't horrible. Yeah. It wasn't great, yeah. but it wasn't horrible. There were only seven competitive seats. Republicans didn't get what they wanted, but they didn't get blown out like a lot of the media saying this morning. On the House of Delegates side, it, it wasn't great. But here's what I will tell you. And I don't, this is not like I, I wrote Not Bad. I talked about it before mm-hmm. um, in the Hill. I put it at the top of my Twitter page. Basically, my point is every Republican, uh, not every, a lot of Republicans are saying abortion was a losing issue for us. My point is abortion isn't a losing issue. How you talk about abortion is a losing issue. We ended up being on defense on that issue instead of offense. Republicans need to prosecute the case that it's Democrats who have the extreme position. Democrats who believe in abortion up until like birth, and even in the case of what Ralph Northam, the former governor of Virginia, said after birth. Republicans don't are not messaging effectively. Is that a fair? I mean that that's my case.
0: Sean, I could not agree with you more. Um, We had Republicans again in some of these places in the Northeast running for dog catcher. And literally the Democrats are attacking them on abortion. And we all know in places like New York and New Jersey that, um, you know, we have the most liberal abortion laws on the planet. You can have an abortion up to the moment of birth. And in a lot of these races where we were successful, we went on offense on the abortion issue. We talked about the democratic extremism on these issues, and then we also talked about the democratic extremism when it comes to issues like affordability, crime and safety. We controlled the message uh, agenda. We controlled the narrative, and I think what happened in—and again, we were only doing a couple things in in, in Virginia. Um, we weren't doing a lot of work there. But I think you know when I'm hearing that 40% of the Republican ads were done on the issue of abortion, and then the Democrats turned it into a referendum against the Republicans and say, "Hey, they're gonna they, they're gonna ban abortion." That hurt the Republicans. Yeah. And, and I couldn't agree with you more, Sean. I think they
1: weren't on offense. None of these guys said, you want to talk about extreme? Here's the extreme position that that Democratic opponent X thinks. They they literally just sat around and let themselves be defined. It was unbelievable. It's literally playing prevent defense and hoping that the clock runs out.
0: I I could not agree with you more. And we went on offense. We were using Joe Biden. Against the Democrats in places like New New York and New Jersey. We were using his failures. One of the big issues down there was, you know, in South Jersey, somebody like Senator Vince Palestina, um, he won in a targeted district. The Democrats literally spent millions of dollars against him, totally outspent him. They were up on Philadelphia TV attacking him on abortion. And what we hit back on the fact that the Democrats wanted to bring um, migrants to the Atlantic City Airport. So we yes. were using an and and Vince was out there on the forefront fighting that. So again, we went on offense and our final ad in that race talked about the democratic extremism on the issue of abortion, but then also talked about how his opponent um was supporting these open border policies and was also supporting defunding the police. So yeah. look, I it's And and you're right. And I love using the football analogy. It's like, look, if you're good at running the football, you want to run the football. If you're good at passing it, you want to run it. And I think we just make have to make voters comfortable with our positions on abortion. And the Democrats and Joe Biden have so many failures right now when it comes to the issues that people care about, you know, things like affordability, inflation, immigration and now war and peace. Um, you know, I, that, that again, I think it's really important that we control. I'm Mike Slater
2: from the podcast, politics by faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by faith. Anywhere you listen to the podcast, politics by faith.
0: well the issue agenda in these I, right.
1: I, I, Jim, the thing that that blows my mind, and in Ohio was the same thing. It got blown out there. I think the media is at least right in the sense that abortion was a huge factor. Right, the the where I think everybody gets this wrong, and I'll be I, I'll be really interested to see where this comes out on the debate tonight because I think that NBC is going to go after our candidates on abortion. The issue that I would say is how you communicate on abortion, how you communicate on life is important. The issue isn't the loser, how you communicate on the issue could be a loser. You are 100% correct. And one of the things that we're
0: seeing for a long time, you know, you used to see a ton of polling, you were working on races um, over the years, where the voters viewed the Republicans as being the party that was more extreme. Right. Now, what voters are looking at, they're seeing the Democrats, they're seeing all the crazy stuff that is coming from Joe Biden and the Democrats these days. And they viewed, and we saw it in uh, the Wall Street Journal poll, where by over 10 points, voters were saying the Democrats were more extreme. That's one of the ways that the Democrats are using it. It's not just on the issue of abortion, but they're trying to say, oh, the Republicans are trying to ban abortion and whatnot. And look, I've worked on races um, where the the electorate is overwhelmingly pro-choice, and yet we've gotten pro-life candidates elected in these places because we've talked about the issues that the voters care about most. And we've also told them that our candidates are not extremists, and the Democrats are the real extremists on these I, issues. I, I yeah,
1: I, I can't. I just it blows my mind. I tweeted out this morning that if you're a candidate in Virginia that bought into this argument on how to communicate on abortion, then you should fire your consultant. I, I just can't believe that these guys thought that this was a good um, a good tactic and a good strategy because yeah. it, it blows my mind when you have a state where the former governor literally said on audio that we wait for the baby to be born and then we make a decision. You should have been out there prosecuting the case on every Democrat saying, you're the one who has to explain your extreme position. Do you yep. agree with the former governor on this? And you had a state senator, Tran, who put out a bill saying that abortion was legal through de- through birth. The yep. idea that we weren't on offense is malpractice.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And Going on offense on the issue of abortion, but also going on offense on these other crazy positions right. that the Democrats have taken. Everything from and and look, when you look at where Republicans are vis-a-vis the Joe Biden Democrats these days on issues like the economy, issues like inflation, issues like crime and safety, immigration and now national security. The Republicans come out overwhelmingly on top. The only issues really where the where the Republicans don't have an advantage right now is on you know abortion and maybe climate. And most of those people that are the crazy climate change people, you know, we're not going to get those folks. Never, yeah, you never so get. So a- it's you. Are, you. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Sean. Like we're going to take you out of retirement. And, yeah. Uh, we, we need you working on more of these Republican
1: races. Yeah, I will tell you what, I, I'll just I'll, I'll give my opinion for free on the show, and then people can watch it. Let me ask you, staying with Virginia for one second, there was this hope that if Glenn Youngkin had flipped the Senate, held the House of Delegates, that he would be seen as the political savior on this. He went all in on 15-week abortion messaging. Um, what What does that portend for him politically?
0: Look, I and I, I agree with you. I think he got some bad advice on that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like I said, 40% of their ads being on abortion, when you have all these failures and extreme positions that Dems support on all these other issues. But look, there's only one person that matters in the Republican primary for president right now. And that's, that's Donald Trump. I mean, he's overwhelmingly the favorite right now. And it's, it's like, I tell people, there's a lot of folks out there that don't understand this. And, When we were testing in surveys, you know, Glenn Youngkin, um, maybe the Washington insiders know who he is. And look, I got a lot of respect for Glenn Youngkin, but he was getting like one, two percent in Republican primary polls for president. So I, I, I think literally people were shooting it windmills, you know, with these never Trump crowds that, um, you know, that Glenn Youngkin was going to be able to come in and he was going to be able to beat uh, Donald Trump in a Republican primary Yeah, right now. You know, there's, there's two points I want to make related to that. One is, you know, when the Republicans do well and, and pick up seats and I know like a lot of the Santa's people are trying to blame him for what happened in Kentucky. And I think they're just upset because, Daniel Cameron, who had the endorsement of Donald Trump in the Republican primary, buried Ron DeSantis as candidate in the Kentucky gubernatorial primary. Um, But Donald Trump is killing this notion because you see him in poll after poll nationally, poll after poll in the battleground states, where Donald Trump is actually beating Joe Biden right now. You know, you look at the New York Times poll, he's winning. And you know when the Republicans pick up seats? They pick up seats when Donald Trump is actually on the ballot. You go back to 2016, when you were at the RNC, the Republicans picked up six seats in the House. He doesn't get credit for that. In 2020, when he was on the ballot again for president, Republicans picked up 16 seats in the the House when he was on the ballot. So I think, and there's nobody, there's nobody that does a better job of turning out those forgotten middle-class voters than somebody like Donald
1: Trump. And I think you're gonna see that in, t- in 2024. It's interesting that you brought up the stats because the, the narrative is that he costs people seats. The thing that I try to tell people all the time is that I think he is most effective in Republican primaries, but in these where you know people really care about his opinion, but in the general election, he, people aren't stupid. They know that he's not on the ballot. So when he says, go vote for Daniel Cameron in Kentucky, you're not voting for Donald Trump. Yes, you're voting for his endorsed candidate, but yep. it's very different than when he's actually on the ballot. Yep. And and I think that if there's one thing, and again, I was watching
0: the Kentucky race from afar, they need needed to bring up the contrast yeah. and do a better job of tying somebody like Bashir back to Joe Biden's failures. And I'm not I think they probably waited too long. I think they didn't start doing that till the last few weeks before Election Day. They should have been doing that over the summer and tying him to his failed policies on things like immigration, inflation, crime and safety, etc. And look, even Politico has an article today where they're talking about how Donald Trump has basically blown up the, uh, you know, the school of thought that he can't win. Right. Nobody's doing better versus right. Well,
1: actually, so let me just let me let me jump in here and ask you this because this is like the sort of the, the final thing that I want to bring up with you. So when you go and look at that poll, right? All these people, the the never Trump crowd, the media, all these people, Trump can't win. Trump can't win. Battleground poll after battleground poll comes out and shows that in every say every state that's important, Donald Trump is winning, save Wisconsin, and within that he's within the yep. margin of error. Okay. So you test him against Biden, he wins. You test him against Kamala, he wins. The one thing that you know does seem to worry a lot of people is that when you say generic Dem, he loses. Now, there's no such thing as a generic Dem. You have to put a name up. <laughs> there's a lot of people that are growing increasingly uh, of, the ca- of the case that, that Biden won't be the nominee. If it's not Biden and not Kamala, does that change the equation?
0: You know, and and look, I've always been under the... I've of believed all along that at the end of the day, the Democrats aren't going to have Joe Biden as their nominee. And now the fact that- Does that worry you? Not at all. And we're preparing for that scenario. It's like the problem the Democrats have is they have no bench. Think about it, Sean. Um, You can't point to any Democrat across the country. You say to yourself, oh, well, you know, maybe they'll go to take a governor, Uh, somebody like Gavin Newsom, Look at all the failures in a place like California. Oh, we can't go to Gavin Newsom because he's been way too extreme. They've got homeless economic problems, the highest taxes in the country, et cetera. Oh, no, we'll go to Kathy Hochul. Kathy Hochul, all her candidates, they got their heads handed to them last night in New York. Where are they going to go? And whoever the Democratic candidate is... They are going to be saddled with Joe Biden's failed record. And that's a big problem for the Democrats right now. And you say, maybe we'll go to one of the mayors. Things are even worse off in the mayors. I mean, I would love for them to nominate somebody like a a Pritzker in Illinois or a Gavin Newsom you know, or Phil Murphy in, in New Jersey. And the big, the dirty little secret is they're all running. They're all running oh, yeah, yeah, campaigns yeah. right now. You know, right. you got Gavin Newsom going off to China because he's trying to look presidential. Just make sure during the campaign he stays off the basketball court because he proved <laughs> whether it's his politics or basketball, he only knows how to go left. And you always got to have your head up whenever you're, uh, you're dribbling the ball.
1: Yeah, especially if he's near kids and knocked them down. Jim, uh, always enjoy our conversations. Thanks for your insight. I appreciate you being here. And congrats on your wins last night.
0: Thank you, Sean. And it's always a pleasure. And and congratulations. The show is terrific. It's must
1: watch television. That's right. Thank you. All right. Great analysis from Jim. As always, a lot to continue to break down throughout the week. Uh, as we get ready for this big debate tonight. But I do want to talk about President Trump's legal troubles, specifically the case in New York. Ivanka Trump taking the stand today. President Trump was in court, as you saw earlier this week. What does this case for mean for him and his businesses going forward? Let's break this down with Mike Davis. Mike Davis, thanks for being here with us. Always great to get your insight. Um, let me just, big picture-wise... This Trump strategy on the New York case—how how is it going? How do you see this thing playing out? Well,
2: there's no chance that President Trump is going to get a fair trial in New York. You have a Democrat judge who has a, a vendetta against President Trump, and that's pretty clear. Uh, when before the trial even began, this judge ruled that Trump s- somehow committed fraud before. Any witness came in before any other evidence came in before cross-examination, before Trump was able to put on his own case, this this Democrat judge just looked at the tax assessor's page in Palm Beach and said that Mar-a-Lago is worth $18 million, according to this tax assessor. And Trump said it was worth a lot more than that. So Trump committed fraud. And that's just
1: an insane legal you, analysis. You, Mike, this is what I don't get. And I, I've always said this you know, to the audience. I'm not a lawyer. I, I watch a ton of law and order, but most of it's criminal intent, and so we don't get into this. How does that happen where the judge before the trial even starts says, you're guilty of fraud? I, I didn't understand that. What, what is that that I don't get about the legal system? that says before the trial starts, before any evidence has been introduced, Letitia James brought this case, valuing Mar-a-Lago at $18 million or et cetera, and yet he's guilty and then he has to go to court to mitigate some, I I just, I miss this.
2: So this is a civil fraud lawsuit and in civil cases, if there's no material dispute of facts- But there are, but there are, I mean that- Yeah, exactly, that's that's exactly the point. There There are clear, material disputes of fact, Uh, the key one being, is Mar-a-Lago worth $18 million or is this 20-acre property down in the most expensive part of America that has land from the ocean to the intercoastal worth more than $18 million? A tennis court at Mar-a-Lago is worth more than $18. Regardless, that's something that should be resolved at trial through witnesses and other evidence and cross-examination, not by this goofball Democrat partisan judge just saying before trial that I think it's worth $18 million
1: in trial. I get that. And that's what I think is laughable, right? Any Anyone with access to Zillow is sitting there going, oh, you can't get a tennis court there. Or actually, uh, it would probably be a, a little bungalow there. Uh, but I, I I, don't get like w- what happened to his ability to contest this. Because from what I understand, and again, just help unpack this, that he went in, they basically said, you're guilty of fraud but you can mitigate some of the penalties.
2: Yeah, and that's another thing that's so messed up about this New York law is there's not even the opportunity for Trump to request a jury. And I don't know how that doesn't violate the Seventh Amendment to the U.S. Constitution where you can just have a judge just decree that Trump committed fraud before there's even a trial, and then the judge makes the determination that Trump could face up to $250 million in damages. I mean, I I don't understand how that's constitutional, and I don't think it is. And so I think Trump's going to have to appeal this all the way up to the Supreme Court. And that's the problem with our politicized and weaponized justice system. This is lawfare and election interference by Democrat prosecutors and Democrat lawyers and Democrat judges and several different Democrat hellholes
1: around the country, whether it's New York, D.C., or Atlanta. So, but and, and again, I just I, I'm so fascinated by how this went down. Number one, mar a lagos in Florida. What jurisdiction does New York have over how he values Mar-a-Lago? Well, the the, the hook for New York is, is that they're, they're alleging that President
2: uh, Pr- President Trump overvalued Mar-a-Lago when he was trying to get money from sophisticated. Wall Street banks, but just think about their fraud theory. President Trump paid back the sophisticated Wall Street banks in full, on time, with interest as agreed. They weren't. But, but here's I, the, like the other thing
1: that I don't get. And again, I, I just appreciate your insight in this because. So I've had a, a home equity loan before, right? And um, and they'll say, "What's the value of your house?" Now I love my house. Um, I think it's it's worth a billion dollars because you know, there's so many memories here, blah, 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 blah. But the bank would say, give me a break. We're going to get an appraisal for you. We're not a bunch of dummies. This is what we do. If we're going to give you money, our appraiser is going to go in there. So who cares what, I mean, with all due respect, who cares what Donald Trump, he probably thinks that Trump Tower's worth, uh, or Mar-a-Lago's worth a quadrillion dollars because of of how beautiful it is, the weddings that have been there and the memories. But no one's going to lend you money unless a credible uh, appraiser goes in there. And so why are they going after Donald Trump and not these people whose job it is, because th- th- he is not an appraiser,
2: yeah. I mean, it's it's an insane legal argument. And they're saying that under New York law, you don't need a victim for fraud. Well, I don't know how that's lawful. I mean, you can't just you you can't just have advisory opinions. You have to have people with standing to bring claims. You need to have injury in right. facts. And who is injured here, right? if the the estate attorney general, is bringing this fraud claim on behalf of the the people of the state of New York? Okay, how were they injured by this transaction? This private transaction that President Trump made with this private bank, and he paid back this private bank in full on time as agreed with interest. They're trying. Tish James is trying to argue that Trump got this money, so maybe New Yorkers didn't get the money, but that's too attenuated for standing under the constitution. Article three standing, constitutional standing requires
1: someone's actually injured, injury in fact. So walk me through where this goes from here, right? I mean, we all agree that that I I just, again, that Mar-a-Lago and the other properties, even if they were, there's no victim. I mean, we can lay out a million things. I think there's no question. I mean, so what's at stake here? They've already found him quote, guilty of fraud we're mitigating or trying to mitigate the penalties, but what's the next step if you're Donald Trump and his legal team?
2: Well, I mean, I think that this Judge Ingeron, who is a partisan deranged... Oh, you're gonna ball, going censored, to get yourself censored,
1: Mike. You're going to have a gag order.
2: <laughs> well, you know what's great about this, Sean, is I actually hope that Judge Ingeron tries to put a gag order on me because <laughs> I will fight that all the way to the Supreme Court and beat him like a drum at the Supreme Court. So I I hope he tries that. But, uh, but I would say this, that Judge Ingeron is going to fine President Trump, probably the full $250 million, fine that there's damages of $250 million, even though there's not a jury jury trial. And then I think that they're gonna take away President Trump's business licenses in New York and try to destroy Trump's family business. And so they're gonna try to throw him in prison for non-crimes, they're gonna gag him in violation of his First Amendment rights, and then they're going to try to bankrupt him. And then the next step is they're going to try to
1: take him off the ballot
2: in key swing states.
1: He finds him guilty. He finds him $250 million. He takes away the business license. Uh, For the aforementioned reasons that you and I have just discussed, what are Trump's next legal steps in this case alone? Well, I mean, he could appeal this. Uh, He would appeal this
2: through the state appellate process to the New York Court of Appeals, which is the Highest court in the land is like the New York Supreme Court. Uh, and I just don't think that Trump is going to get a fair shake at all in New York. And here's the bigger ramification for New York. When they're on this mission to take mm-hmm. out Trump, this Trump arrangement, they're going to scare a lot of business, me- business people and jobs away from New York if they continue with this bogus legal theory that somehow it's fraud to make a representation about the value of your property and the bank disagrees or doesn't disagree. But the New York attorney general steps in and says, you know what? We think both of you got this wrong. The sophisticated Wall Street bank who got paid back on time in full with interest as agreed. And then the person who borrowed the money, we think that that's wrong. So we're going to go after the person who borrowed the money and try to bankrupt them. That's not going to fly with New York business people. They're going to leave New York And go to states where it's more business friendly.
1: And that's going to destroy New York jobs and the New York tax. Yeah, it's just imagine. I I think, and I'm not making any accusations, but I've got to imagine that if you're Letitia James, there were a few bigger targets to fire at in terms of the people in Wall Street and the financial firms that may have done something than a real estate guy from several years ago evaluating properties potentially over what they might be worth i, I just it, it i get your point but it, it sort of does the idea that this wasn't a political witch hunt if you stop and say to yourself okay how long has this really been going on you suddenly now bring it up out of nowhere and all of the financial and equ- private equity firms and lending institutions in New york not one of them has done anything and yet you're going after a real estate guy for overvaluating property that to your point there's no victim on
2: yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing to me. These It seems like Tish James may have too much money. Maybe <laughs> the New York legislature, I mean, it's all Democrat. They're going to keep funding her. But I mean, it's just like, if you have this much money in the New York Attorney General's office to go after a businessman who paid back the Wall Street Bank in full-on time as agreed with interest, and you somehow think that's right, if you have those
1: resources
2: as a prosecutor's office, maybe you have too many resources. But also,
1: like, she keeps trying to claim that this isn't political. But she's on tape over and over and over and over again when she was campaigning saying, Oh, I'm gonna get Trump or I'm gonna do this or I you know, don't worry, he's in my sights and I'm gonna call him, he- he's illegitimate. And I mean, like over and over again, she makes it clear her political bias and that she's trained all of her, her venom on him and now is trying to say, Oh, I, I I this has nothing to do with politics.
2: It has everything to do with politics. She campaigned on but, the on the fact like you said, Sean that she's going to get Trump, and this is part of the Democrats' lawfare and election interference. Why are they bringing four indictments right now? Why are they bringing this civil fraud lawsuit right now to bankrupt Trump and take away his livelihood? Why are they trying to gag him in two different jurisdictions? Why are they trying to kick him off the ballot
1: in several different states? This is obviously political. So, you mentioned the New York Supreme Court. As far as I know, that tilts very left. Trump's not going to probably get a fair trial there either. Is that where it ends or can he keep going all the way to the Supreme Court?
2: He does have issues that he can raise for the U.S. Supreme Court and a couple of constitutional issues he can raise. It's going to be hard, but a couple of constitutional issues is, again, how do you how do you take away $250 million from someone and not have a jury involved? So that if, you, if you, just put,
1: if you looked into your magic eight ball, uh, how does this end and you shook it? What is it gonna say? I mean, cause it sounds to me that you, what you're saying is, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. Look, we all see this This judge in New York. He's made it very clear. He's going after Trump. The New York Supreme court doesn't favor Trump. And then it's gonna to be tough to get a constitutional issue. I mean, does this mean that where this likely ends in at least the the short term is that his business license gets pulled and and the penalties get instilled? Yes.
2: I mean, I think that's exactly where they're going. And here's the problem, Sean. I think the American people are going to be kind of like stunned by this. Like, wait, you're going to take away this guy's livelihood and fine him 250 million dollars for what? He paid back the bank. Yeah, but I see, Mike. This is where I time. disagree.
1: I I I need someone like you, who's really smart in this area, to explain it to me. And and I just wonder the American people. You get half of a country who already hate Trump, no matter what, and they don't really care. Katie bar the door break the law as long as it's in pursuit of the greater good, go after Trump. right? They don't really care. And then the other half, I think there's a mixed bag. There's people who, like me, say, this is ridiculous what you're doing to the guy. And then there's a bunch of people who don't care. And I think part of it is they don't have the Mike Davises of the world to explain how r- legally ridiculous this is. And I, I, that's why I just, I think the Dems get away with so much stuff like this because not enough people are willing to care and to fight. Yeah, I mean, I
2: I agree with that, Sean. I would say this, this lawfare has been going on since August of 2022. And, uh, you know, I've been I've done over 2000 hits with the media supporting and defending President Trump over that period. It's uh, it's been a slog. And for the first probably eight months of that, I was largely the, the only yeah. voice out there supporting and defending Trump. Right. And I would say this. Look at the polling right now. Look at how this lawfare has backfired. On these Democrats, they might win these cases with these Democrat judges and prosecutors and juries in these Democrat hellholes like Dem- uh, like DC, New York, Atlanta, and now Denver, Colorado. But guess what? The American people can defeat all this by putting President Trump back right. in the White House.
1: Let me just bring up the last issue that you just touched on before we go, which is this Fourteenth Amendment issue that Colorado and other states are touching on now, which basically says that within the Fourteenth Amendment, a, a a clause of it that was put in place after the Civil War to prevent Confederate officers from serving is now being potentially used against Trump to keep him off the ballot because they claim as a, quote, officer of the United States, he engaged in insurrection. Break down what you think where this thing heads and and how it ends.
2: So I, I was in the Denver trial all last week, and this Denver district court judge, this new judge that just started in January, is Sarah Wallace? She's a Democrat donor. She donated to an anti-Trump January sixth PAC, mm-hmm. and now she's presiding over an anti-Trump January sixth trial. Trump's uh, tr- uh, Trump's attorneys filed a motion to recuse. She said, "Yeah, I made the donation. I don't remember making the donation, but I can still be fair." Uh, that's not the legal standard, right? The legal standard is not whether she subjectively thinks she could be fair; it's whether the public objectively thinks. she could be fair and i don't think that any reasonable observer would say that a judge who just donated in october to an anti-trump january 6th pack is going to be fair in an anti-trump january 6th trial that's reversible error right there alone this judge is going to disqualify president trump from the ballot in colorado it's going to be it's an election challenge it will be going up to the colorado supreme court and on an expedited basis i think by the end of this year the, the colorado supreme court will affirm They'll keep Trump off the ballot in Colorado. The Supreme Court has discretionary review. Let's see if the Supreme Court can put on its big boy pants and decide but this case. don't you think this is
1: not, Mike, because- this is, this is I, I, I agree with you. I cannot believe that we're hoping the Supreme Court puts on its big boy pants, to, to use your phrase, to decide whether or not the American people can choose who they want for president. What the heck is going on in this country? I mean, the, the, the judicial system at the state and the federal level has clearly gotten weaponized to the point where we can't even make a decision now. I, I just, it has blown my mind what we've seen happen in the last, what, 24, 36 months?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been, like I said, I've been screaming about this since August of 2022 since the mar-a-lago raid the unprecedented unnecessary and unlawful home raid on a yeah. former president for presidential records he's allowed to have i've been sounding this alarm i think what we need are members of congress republican members of congress to get their heads out of their behinds and actually start making a big deal yeah. about this like this is lawfare this is election interference these are republic ending tactics if they try to imprison trump if they bankrupt him if they just take him off the ballot, so the right. American people don't have a choice, we're going to I, lose. Look, our country, I, I, Republican I just Democrats. want to end with
1: this. I, I I honestly can't believe. I think for people who are hearing what you're saying, and you are right. You are you have been one of the lone voices out there, not just defending Trump, because I think that it's it's easy, it's easy to defend Trump. What you are doing is explaining the legal consequences that really matter in this, and that's why I think your voice is so different, unique, and needed, because you are explaining to people, you can hate Trump, but here are the legal and constitutional consequences of what you're doing, and I, I appreciate how you do what you do, because it's so critical going forward, so thank you for that, um, and for being constantly uh, an amazing guest with us, because it's not just defending Trump, frankly, a lot of people can do that. You do it in a way that makes people appreciate the consequences. And that's what I want the audience to understand. That When you're debating people at Thanksgiving who hate Trump and say he's horrible, explain to him what Mike Davis is telling you. Explain to them why this matters because it's not about Trump. He says it all the time, it's about you. They can take his business down for no reason. They can take yours. If they can keep him off the ballot, they can keep anyone that you support off the ballot. It's bigger than Trump and explain to them, watch what Mike Davis says. Replay this before you gather with your crazy uncle and let them understand what's really at stake because I, I just, I appreciate everything you say, Mike, thanks for being with us, guys. Uh, we, we broke a lot of ground in this show today. Uh, later in the week, we've got Riley Gaines with us. Tomorrow, again, we've got that debate prep session. You can go to my VIP page, SeanSpicerShow.com backslash uh, VIP. You can watch it live on the YouTube channel. We have debate prep 9 a.m. Eastern tomorrow with Mark Halpern again to break down everything that you need to know from tonight's debate. Obviously, some more breakdown from uh, the elections. Continue to subscribe, rate the show, uh, and and uh, whether it's on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, but here you're getting such a different message, and I appreciate all the support for the show and for our sponsors. Thanks. We'll see you back here tomorrow on The Sean Spicer Show.